Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And the reason that Abraham obeyed was because Abraham had come to the same place that Paul had come to, and when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, for which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed. Now, they didn't know where, but they knew who. And Abraham didn't know where, but Abraham knew who. And these fishermen didn't know how they were gonna be fishers of men, but they knew who was gonna make them fishers of men. Now, he goes on, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 21, he sees two more brothers. Two more brothers go on from thence. He saw two other brethren, in verse 21, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Okay, so now again, sees two more brothers, there's James and John, they're the son of the father, Zebedee is in the boat with them, and he sees those men are gonna become brothers on a higher plane. They're gonna become brothers in spirit in the family of God, and they'll follow the Lord. And so what are they doing there? These two brothers are not casting nets. They're getting their nets ready. They're mending them, it says there. They're getting them ready to start fishing. And just as they're getting ready to fish, you know, there's an anticipation before you start out fishing. Oh, yeah, launch off, you know, kind of. Just as they're getting ready to fish, he calls them. I mean, what an inconvenient time for him to call them. I mean, what a time. They're getting ready to fish. Maybe after I fish today, I'll follow you. What a time when these two brothers, James and John, could have said, let me first go and fish today. Then I'll follow you. And this is the one of the greatest dangers that we face in life. It's the plague. Now, I speak from my own experience. The plague of our souls. It's the let me first and go plague that we fight all the time. You know, we want to have our morning devotions and, oh, let me first go and do this, then I'll have my devotions, you know. And what the Lord has called us to do something, oh, let me go first do this, then I'll do that. And this was the problem with two men that the Lord described in Luke 9.59. Luke 9.59. Luke 9.59, the Lord said, he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and farewell which are at home my house. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, it seems reasonable for the one person to say, 
my father just died. Can I bury him? You know? And the other one says, what, I'm just supposed to walk off here and not even say goodbye to the people back home? And the Lord was saying, no, no, you're not. And so, because the whole problem here was that these two men had the disease of, let me first go and. And isn't it interesting that when they said that, let me first go, both these men said the same word. What was that word? I'm gonna ask you a question. What was that word? And I'll read it to you. The first man, he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home in my house. What was the word? Lord, that was the thing. Both of these men called Jesus Lord. Now, that shows it's not enough to call Jesus Lord because he said in Matthew 7.21, Matthew 7.21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, think of these two men, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name done, cast out devils, done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. These two said, Lord, let me first go. And it didn't make any sense when they said, Lord, let me first go. You can't say, Lord, and then say, let me first go. I mean, you have to say, Lord, I'll go now. Or you have to say, not say, Lord, and just say, let me first go, and don't say, Lord. Because it makes no sense to say, Lord, let me first go. It's either one or the other. It can't be, Lord, let me first go, because these two have the disease of let me first go, and they both called Jesus Lord. And that's why the Lord said unto them, not a few, not a few, but many have this disease. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and then they'll try to get into heaven, and they're gonna be cast out, and he's gonna say, I never knew you. I never knew you as what? What he meant, he, he never knew them like he knew these four brothers who were characterized in verse 20, Matthew 4, 20, as they straightway left their nets and followed him. And in verse 22, Matthew 4, 22, they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. When the Lord called them, he knew these four did not have the disease of let me first go. And he knows them because they immediately follow him. Now, this response of these two brothers, the second set, James and John, in verse 22. Verse 22 is, they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, it's called out for us in this first group of uh, Peter and Andrew that they left their nets, which is like their occupation. But the second group here of James and John They not only left their nets, but it's specifically called out they left their father, who evidently decided that himself is not gonna follow the Lord. I want us just to kind of capture that scene a little bit of James and John in the boat with their father, and the Lord calls them to follow them. And just at that moment when they're deciding, you know, the decision that they have to make is is a little bit more than from the first two because their father's right there with them. And so the decision is, Should I really leave my father? Should I really leave my family? Should I really leave my people? And this is the moment of decision that the Lord was referring to when he said in Matthew 10, 37, Matthew 10, 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me 
is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So it's that moment of choice there for James and John when they have to choose between the Lord Jesus and their father and that moment when their father, he might have said to them, you have to stay with me and not go with Jesus. I don't care who's calling you. You stay here. You have to honor your father above Jesus. That's maybe his father's, I don't know. You must love me more than Jesus. So when it came to that choice, where we're seeing here John and James in the boat with their father, when it came to love Jesus more than their father or love their father more than Jesus, that's the time, this is the instance when the Lord said, when you're faced with this choice, he said that in Matthew 10, 37, Matthew 10, 37, he that loveth father more than me is not worthy of me. And then in Luke 14, 26, kind of like amplifying it a little bit, Luke 14, 26, he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what does he mean by that? So he's teaching we should hate our father? What is that? No, when it comes down to love Jesus or love your father, the response must be to not love the father more than Jesus, or as the Lord put it in those rare instances, to hate the father in comparison. No middle ground. To follow the Lord is to leave all. Now, you can imagine their father at this point, you know, seeing his two sons get up and saying, hey, where are you going? You know, I raised you and I trained you to take over my business. What are you doing? Now, I've painted a picture here of James and John's father, Zebedee, not agreeing with James and John to follow the Lord, which is most often the case, especially with Jewish sons and daughters today, that I can tell you for sure, who decide to follow the Lord Jesus. But to be fair, we don't know. We don't know if actually Zebedee, he may have given his consent for his sons. He might say, this is wonderful. I, you know, I'm old, I would follow him too. But here, I, like the hymn says, give of your best to the master. Give of the strength of thy youth. Give him your sons and your daughters. Maybe he was, I don't know. Anyway, so now James and John, they've left their father to follow the Lord Jesus. And now they see Simon and Andrew, and they've also come. They're in the same group. And now they've got a special friendship with these two, Simon and Andrew. So James and John have a special friendship now with Andrew and Simon. I'm sure they were friends before. I mean, you know, fishermen, you know, probably belong to the, the Galilee Society of Fishermen. I don't know. But they have a special camaraderie now because it's on a higher plane because they are now spiritual friends Because of two things. Because first, they sought the Lord, and second, they found the Lord. And this is the basis for the special friendship between believers. Friendship that is based on what they have in common, which is the most precious. They have all sought the Lord, and they have all found the Lord, and that's the special friendship among believers, not that they go to the same church. Now, we read what the Lord did now in verse 23, where it says, that Jesus went about all Galilee, and now we see him teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So here it says he went about all Galilee. So he's traveling all over Galilee. This is so different from John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist stayed in one place. He wasn't traveling. Uh, John the Baptist announced the wrath to come, and Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is announcing the way of escape from the wrath to come. And John didn't do any miracles or healings, and the Lord is doing miracles and healings. Now, we have in these verses here a general sketch of what the Lord did. It says he went throughout all Galilee, 
and it's very important to see here of how essential it was for the Lord that he go to everyone and invite them to repent and receive this entrance into heaven. It's interesting because there's a time when his disciples came and they said, you know, can you just kind of like stay with us here? You know, unpack, you know, just kind of be with us a little bit. And so his response to this in Luke 4.42, Luke 4.42, it says, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So what he's saying to them, he says, you know, thank you very much for the invitation. I like being with you too, but I have been sent to all the cities here, so I can't unpack. I can't stay with you. I mean, they wanted him to stay, but the Lord had this sense of urgency about him that he had to go throughout all Israel. What was involved there? Well, we don't know, but Josephus says that about this time that there are around 200 towns and cities in Israel for the Lord to visit. And so he went from town to town, cities, begging men to be reconciled to God. Now, what about if you had your agenda, you've got to go visit 200, not two, not 20, 200 cities. Do you even know 200 cities in California? But you've got to go visit every one. That's a job. That's a lot of work. That's what was pressing him. I got to go to these 200 towns and cities and preach the gospel. Okay, now in verse 23, we see the first place he goes here where he is teaching is in the synagogues. How strange a place for him to go. Those are people who are gonna wanna kill him later on. But he goes into the synagogues and he kind of presents himself like a traveling rabbi. You know, a rabbi is sort of traveling around. I mean, he's going to the synagogues. Now, by the way, you ever notice the fact that you don't see the word synagogue in the Old Testament? Do you know why you don't see the word synagogue in the Old Testament? because there weren't any, <laughs> that's why. There weren't any synagogues in the Old Testament, okay. <laughs> synagogues were invented or whatever during the Babylonian captivity. I mean, there's the Jews, you know, they're not in Jerusalem, they can't go to Jerusalem, they're sitting there and say, what are we gonna do? So they do this synagogue. Synagogue's a Greek word, it's not Hebrew, it's not Yiddish, it's Greek, and it means place of assembly. So they're gathering together. Because they felt this need to assemble. So the synagogue was born, Babylonian captivity, and then when they returned from the Babylonian captivity, they said, why should we go to Jerusalem? It's such a long way. We'll have the synagogues, the portable temple, that's fine. So they built these synagogues all throughout Israel, and you know, cities, towns, yeah, synagogues. So it's estimated that when the Lord was going into the synagogues in Israel, that there were about 480 synagogues throughout Israel. 200 cities, 480 visiting points. That's a lot. Now, meetings on the synagogues, they were generally on Sabbath. And the way it is, many of the Orthodox now, the men and the women are separated. And there's uh, service was something like there was prayer, there was scripture that was read, there was by various men. You can see that in the New Testament. There was the exposition of scripture, and there was the opportunity for people to ask questions. Not like me. No, people could ask questions freely and they could express their opinions. And then at the end of the service, there was the ironic prayer, may the Lord bless you and make his face to shine upon you and so forth. And then there was the prayer. And the, so each synagogue, they had its president and they had the elders who took care of the affairs of the synagogue, you know, and made sure the, the windows weren't broken and all that. 
and associated with each synagogue was a Sanhedrin court that decided matters and also had the power of some amount of punishment. But all those Sanhedrin courts were under the control of the main Sanhedrin court in Jerusalem. So here comes the Lord, and he comes into these synagogues, and people viewed him as a rabbi, just a rabbi, a tram, and, or some viewed him as a prophet, some viewed him as the Messiah, but his disciples knew him to be God, God the Son. Now, in verse 23, we see that it says there in verse 23 that he's teaching and preaching. So he's not just teaching, he's preaching also. It's important to see the Lord teaching and preaching. Now, we already talked about the difference between teaching and preaching. But it's important to see the Lord teaching and preaching because the two go hand in hand. The two go hand in hand. It's sad. It's sad when teaching has no preaching. And it's even sadder when preaching has no teaching. (laughs) Because teaching with no preaching is like giving information and not asking for a decision from the people. And preaching with no teaching is like asking for a decision, but people don't know what they're deciding. There's no information. So it's important to go hand in hand, teaching and preaching. But before anyone could be a teacher, a preacher, a teacher, preacher, he's got to first be a hearer. He's got to be a hearer. He's got to be a hearer from God. And that's what the disciples were. They were hearers. Then they became teachers, preachers. Now, we see here that the word about the Lord Jesus, it spreads all the wonders of what he's doing here. It's spreading. Verse 24, his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought unto him all sick people that were taken, diverse diseases, torments, possessed with devils, those that were lunatic. They had the palsy. He healed them. He was becoming very well known throughout Syria because Galilee was on the trade routes And so the caravans were traveling through and they were bringing the news about the fame of the Lord Jesus all throughout Syria. What was he famous for? Well, he's famous in verse 24 as a healer. And in verse 24, there's a list of the categories of the healings that he did, the physical healings, the healing of physical problems, the healing of mental problems. And it's broken down for us in that verse into five categories. There was various diseases Those are medical conditions. Those are torments. That's the problem of pain. Those that were possessed with devils. Those who were lunatic, that's epilepsy. Palsy, various nervous disorders. So basically, these are bodily conditions, spiritual oppression, and mental conditions. I mean, he healed consumption, which was how cancer was described and called Fevers, lameness, blindness, dumbness. He did, in healing, what physicians could not and what the physicians took a lot of money for and sometimes made the patients worse. I'm glad that's all changed. (laughs) Anyway, he did all this and he took no money. But as he did this, he was showing himself to be Malachi 4.2, Malachi 4.2, but unto you that fear my name, shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So this is what interested the people the most. They were very interested, not the words that he spoke or the warning that he gave that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and they needed to repent, but verse 24 makes it very clear. 
His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with various diseases, etc., and he healed them. It's interesting the way verse 24 reads when it says, they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases. The verse does not say that the people were flocking to him to be saved from their sins. The ministry of John the Baptist was to make the people afraid of the wrath of God, of the wrath judgment that was coming for their sins. John did nothing for diseases and physical and mental problems. But the popularity of the Lord Jesus was not following what John the Baptist had done. You know, they're afraid of the wrath to come. I'm such a sinner. I'm confessing. And I come to him and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins and atonement. The people were not flocking to him, miserable under the conviction of their sins as they were with John. The people were flocking to him for miracles that he would perform in healing their bodies. It was like the people would say, I know that about that sin part, but, but let me tell you what my real need is. My real need is I got cancer. My real need is I got blindness. That's what's important. Not that sin stuff that John the Baptist was hollering about. Not that hellfire and brimstone stuff. What's really important to me is I got a pain in my leg. You know? And that's what's being told us here in the last two verses of this chapter and these details of the physical and mental problems that he healed. And so after telling us this, then the last verse says that in verse 25, there were a lot of people who came. They came from here, Galilee, and there, Decapolis, and all the way from Jerusalem, Judea, even beyond Jordan into the area of the Gentiles. I mean, I was watching a Christian music performer sing about the Lord yesterday, and he was saying, uh, he was singing the song. It's a nice song. Here he comes. And it's a nice song because it went through all what the Lord Jesus did and how he lived and died to save us from our sins. And then after each one, he would say, here he comes. But what was interesting was how the singer in the song, he kind of interjected a comment, and he said, and here is the best part. And then he's saying, and here he comes doing miracles. Now, that's what interested the masses of people who flocked to him in verses 24 and 25. Not the words he spoke, not the reconciliation with God he offered, but the miracles. And that's what we see today with so many of the popular TV evangelists with their offers of, do you need a miracle today? You know, I'm here to bring you a miracle. And the results of those TV evangelists are the same like in verses 24 and 25. Many sick people, flocks, they follow with great multitudes. But even though that's the case, nevertheless, in verse 24, it says he healed them. He healed them. He was compassionate. He didn't say to them, you're coming to me for the wrong reasons. No, he was compassionate on the people for their distresses, and he was patient with the people waiting for them to respond to his words about the need for to be forgiven and his offer to be reconciled with God. But also, his miracles were a confirmation that he was who he claimed to be, and he pointed to those miracles as a proof to John the Baptist that he really was the one that everybody was waiting for. In Matthew eleven four, Matthew eleven four says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So as we finish up this chapter here, we look back on the start of the Lord's public ministry and ask the question, basically, what's the summary of what he was doing? It's given for us in Acts 10.38, Acts 10.38. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good 
and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our wonderful Savior. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, uh, you'd help us to be the quick responders to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at FriendshipWithGod.org, Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 